listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning volunteer and chapter leadership committee member of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. We're recording this on April 16th, although people will be hearing it on April 25th. That's the day it'll be released, April 25th. It's an absolutely miserable day here on the New Hampshire seacoast. It's been raining all day. It's very windy. Matter of fact, I think I'm hearing the wind right now. I don't know if people will be able to hear that uh, through the uh, the microphone. But uh, anyway, how is it in Newmarket today, Cindy? Actually, um, I have a little bit of snow on my car right now here in Newmarket. And I'm just a little bit inland from where you are, Jeremy, in Portsmouth. But we, we actually did get a little snow here in mid-April. That's not not right at all. <laughs> that should be should be well well over with by now. But um, anyway, we had some spring. We were teased, and now we're back into winter. That's right. Yeah. So as I said, this episode will be released on April 25th, and it's episode 115 of Lighthearted. This is part one of two episodes that will take us to Sweden to talk about Paternoster Lighthouse, which Swedish people know as the King of Lighthouses. We'll be talking with an award-winning hotel designer who's a partner in the small hotel at the light station. This is a first for this podcast. We've done a number of shows about locations in the British Isles. We did one with an author in Italy, but we've never visited Sweden before or anywhere in Scandinavia for that matter. Uh, we'll tell you more about it in a few minutes, uh, but first let's talk for a minute about this date in history. On April 25th, 1893, Old Orchard Shoal Lighthouse in Lower New York Bay was first lighted. The spark plug type lighthouse was automated in 1955 and sold at government auction in 2008. Four years later, in October 2012, it was wiped out by Hurricane Sandy. The foundation can be seen where the lighthouse once stood. On April 25, 1908, the American broadcast journalist and war correspondent Edward R. Morrow was born near Greensboro, North Carolina. He once said, quote, anyone who isn't confused really doesn't understand the situation, unquote. Wait, what? <laughs> well, I'm confused by that quote, so I can't explain it to you. Um, as I mentioned, our subject today is the Potter Noster Lighthouse in Sweden. Our interview is with Eric Nissen Johansson, who is one of the managers of the hotel at the light station. First, let's tell everyone about Potter Noster Lighthouse. Potter Noster is a small archipelago off the west coast of Sweden. The island group's name, which means the Lord's Prayer, is said to come from the tradition that mariners would recite the Lord's Prayer as they negotiated their way around the dangerous reefs in the vicinity. The 105-foot-tall cast-iron lighthouse on one of the islands was constructed in 1868 during a period of intensive lighthouse building in Sweden. It was designed by the Swedish engineer Nils Gustav von Heidenstam. I don't know good about job, good job, yeah, good job. Thank you, thank you. I'm not sure about pronunciation there. Found it good it was, to me. It was one of 11 lighthouses that he designed, and 10 of them still stand. From the time it began service until its automation in 1964, Potter Noster had a first order Fresnel lens. That large lens was replaced at that time by a smaller fourth order lens. Then, in 1977, the lighthouse was deactivated after a modern light tower was erected offshore. The iron tower rusted and fell into disrepair in the years that followed. 
A complete restoration of the lighthouse began in 2002. The tower was transported to shore, and with many local companies and individuals pitching in, the work was completed and the tower was shipped back to the island in 2007. Since last year, Paternoster Lighthouse has been operated as a small hotel. The facilities include rooms with a sea view, a restaurant, and three boathouses for dinner and conferences. The hotel on Paternoster was awarded the 40th Annual Gold Key Award for Excellence in Hospitality Design. Earlier this year, the nearby film festival in Gothenburg awarded a week-long stay at the Lighthouse Hotel to Lisa Enroth, a nurse. You'll hear references to the film festival and contest in the interview you're about to hear. Eric Nissen Johansson is originally from Norway. He's the founder and creative director of Stilt Trampoli, a multi-award winning hospitality design company. For more than 25 years, Stilt has created unique hotel and restaurant experiences for clients all over the world. Eric is now a partner in the Potter Noster Hotel. I spoke with Eric last month. Let's listen to that conversation now. I'm speaking today with Eric Neeson Johansson of Stilt. Am I pronouncing that right, Eric? Stilt? Yes, Stilt, yeah, Stilt okay. yes. A hospitality design company. And Eric is also a partner in the Paternoster Lighthouse Hotel, which is what we'll mainly be discussing today. Uh, Eric is in Sweden. I'm here in New Hampshire. We're speaking through the magic of Zoom. Thank you so much for joining me today, Eric. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thank you. Big pleasure and uh, a very warm topic for <laughs> for me to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a, it's really amazing what what's been uh, done there. So before we talk about the Lighthouse Hotel, I'd just like to talk a little bit about your background. Uh, you've been in the business of hospitality design for a, a long time, for quite a while. I saw you originally from Norway. Yes. And uh, you studied in Italy. Yes. I, I have that right? Yeah. Pan-European. <laughs> you're, yes, you're, you're uh, what do you call that, uh, pan-European or something exactly something like that. Yeah. And I heard you say in another podcast I listened to that you're a fisherman trapped in a uh, hotel designer's body. <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, exactly that, that uh, I, my big, great hobby is, you know, getting out on the water, out to nature. And I really like fishing. That's also one of the reasons why I chose to become one a partner in this project because uh, uh, me and my wife have a summer house not uh, far from there on another island and and when it's really good weather i take the boat all the way out to that lighthouse because the fishing is really good around it it's it's you know it's further out so it's better fishing mm -hmm. so i'm i'm a nature person i maybe less everybody from norway but um, with that viking blood i really enjoy being on the sea on on the boat and you know i also travel around with my friends on vacation to different parts of the world to go fishing. So, well, it sounds like the lighthouse project is uh, is perfect for you. And I read that you're also an artist. What what sort of art do you do? I actually do uh, collect things, collect items, and uh, I'm really fascinating about the um, putting together, uh, you know, two different objects and putting them together. It will create a third meaning somehow. And if you add another thing and a fourth uh, object, you know, then 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 you can start to tell different stories which i think is the same thing we do with interior design you know it's uh, if mm -hmm. you if you change the furniture in a room you can you can say something else i i think my art is to collect things that i find you know maybe a lot around beaches and uh 
related to nature and, and the ocean, but, you know, seeing beauty in things that people, other people threw away. On the art world, so I guess those are referred to as found objects, right? That you Exactly, uh, found objects you. and um, material collages or assemblages. So I want to talk uh, briefly about the history of the Paternoster Lighthouse. I was reading yeah. that uh, the island before the lighthouse was there was actually considered uninhabitable. Yes. But keepers and families live there for uh, for more than a hundred years. Is there anything about the history of the the lighthouse itself, or or maybe the the people who live there that that you find especially interesting? Yeah, a lot of it actually. And um, maybe you notice that we don't want to call the, our product a hotel; we call it a home on the horizon. Right. Uh, and the reason for that is there's two reasons. One that I I think this is so small and particular as a hotel and very special location. So uh, it, 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 it gains from not kind of being in the competitive set of other hotel experiences. But the, the main reason, I think, is that uh, there was something we read when we read about the history of the, of the island and the discussion that went on 50 years before they built it. Because everybody were agreeing that it would be a perfect location to put the lighthouse out there because uh, it, it would give the sailors more accuracy when they pass those dangerous reefs. But in the same sentence, I said, it's, but it's impossible to live there. It's too small, too far out. So in the winters, you wouldn't be able to go in back into land and stuff. And then finally, they did it and built it. And three families moved out because it was a kerosene-driven uh, flame. And uh, it needed to be maintained 24-7. Uh, so they needed to be three people working on it. And uh, they proved everybody wrong. So they had a really good life there from the beginning. Even the, 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 the first lighthouse master, he was growing tomatoes up in the lantern because of oh. the heat and the, the light there, you know. And, and there was a kind of a tradition of the lighthouse families to, to invite the captain on waiting ships. Ships were waiting for the daylight, anchoring close to the lighthouse. And they invited them for dinner, the captains, and they served them fresh tomatoes year all year round. So, so they actually, and they were hunting seals and catching lobsters and um, fishing and uh, sea seabirds and seaweeds. And they had a lot of children out there uh, also, and they had a small a school teacher. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, full of life. So that's the product we want to give to the world: that showing people how it is to live on the on the terms and condition of this small sparse island and showing them that it's really good you know you can only 50 meters from the building you can catch your actual your, your dinner your lobster and i think that's the new luxury in a way you know for, for all these people living in big cities next when you exit the building it's tarmac and uh, you know and and they are only used to buying your lobster in fancy shops you know so 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 that's why we decided to open up the home of the Lighthouse Master and, and you know, offering it to our guests. Can you remind me how far offshore it is? It's an archipelago, so it's the outmost island. But to if, if you want to take the boat back, it's six, six or seven nine nautical miles to where you can park your car. Then you have taken your car over several bridges. So you can, you can still see land from one angle, but the three other angles, you will only see the horizon. It reminds me a lot of a, a lighthouse not far from where I live here, uh, off the southern main coast here, called Boone Island, B-O-O-N. Yeah. Some of our listeners will be familiar with that. Maybe you've heard about it. Very similar. It's about uh, eight miles offshore, and it's a little pile of rocks with a tall mm. lighthouse on it. And uh, just <laughs> you like make me want to go there. <laughs> maybe you should uh, start a 
a hotel or, or something similar there. But um, anyway, the same same as Paternoster, families live there, and it amazes me in both cases that families, you know, along with the lighthouse keepers, that families and children actually lived in these places. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it, it was a law saying that uh, you were allowed to bring your families, and people had more kids per family back then, and um, and there was also a law if if there were more than two children that were in school age the the government needed to provide a teacher you know to do so but i think and it was i read somewhere there was there were always more than two children there so they constantly had a school teacher a lot of stories about one time the school teacher were a little too beautiful so she, the, the wives on the island had forced her to leave and change her <laughs> But uh, I, I also got in contact because of this project. We have been running it now for uh, nine months, I think. I got in contact with uh, some some people that are old now, but they they were kids of Lighthouse Master back then, and they and they wow. have so fun memories and so great memories. I mean, even got access to to take pictures of the pictures in their albums. You know, we we have a beautiful picture when they're putting up the Christmas tree in. Um, in between the buildings and, and strapping it up with with wires so we shouldn't the wind shouldn't take it you know <laughs> and also it's it's quite a big number of people that had like a family connection to it so so we also see that we have a lot of from the beginning we had a lot of let's say fans among the on the people that living in the vicinity uh, back on the mainland yeah that really are sharing i think this is this is nice that it's opening up again yeah oh definitely has there been any thought of putting a book together about the, the we are working on it actually now and uh, when the big renovation was uh, when it was put back in uh, 2008 the museum of Bohuslän, which is the municipality of the area um, they'd made a book with different you know parts of the history and we are working on a book now we are having this summer the publisher will come out and uh, we want to do you know, a book about a nice, comfortable book about uh, the history, about uh, the, the food, the 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 sea, life in the sea, mm. uh, recipes. You know, a, you know, a yeah. little bit of our universe. Yeah, that sounds great. I just had a hunch there might be a book in the works, and I'm glad to hear it. It's, it's <laughs> great. So you just mentioned a restoration, some restoration work. Uh, I believe in 2008, you were talking about in 2002. I was reading about yeah. that when the uh, lighthouse was actually floated to shore. Yes. And restored, and I, the, I've seen uh, pictures of the the lighthouse being put back in place by a giant crane. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> unbelievable. I, we haven't had anything like that with a similar lighthouse over here. Do you have any other thoughts or insight about that? Right. I, I, I'll give you the background story because it's I think it's kind of cute. Uh, since this is a, a cast iron lighthouse, it was starting to deteriorate and rust. The governmental branch that were in charge of it, they they had you know one solution to lose it and tear it into the ocean so it should you know because 1977 the, there was a mechanical lighthouse that they built from our underwater rock that's like even better positioned mm -hmm. uh, and that's uh, taking over the lighthouse purpose you know the navigational purpose it's a light in our lighthouse just for nostalgia you know sure the local the big local gothenburg newspaper they started uh, like a protest list. You don't realize how much you love it before you threaten to take it away. So it, it was a, a big, uh, you know, they collected a lot of money. I think they got four four million crowns, which is in, in dollar, it's like $400,000 or $500,000. And then they brought it back uh, into a shop that were supposed to fix it. And then they realized how bad shape it was. And then 
they they needed they said we need four times the money or something <laughs> and that's why it was delayed it took six years huh. and people missed it because it's like a part of the horizon from land you know when you see that it's like a safe haven somehow but then they started to collect more money and some companies uh, were helping out and um, and they managed to get it back and that's also the reason that gave also the the um, the, the owners, the Swedish government, the owners of the island and the, the buildings to renovate also the buildings because they were in really bad shape. They are very well done because with thick timber and, um, you know, good details so to withstand storms and stuff. But they needed kind of a big renovation. and uh, But it put the buildings in the shape that they are today. Uh, but but that's the that's the story about so it's it's like in in the western sweden at least it's a very famous it's famous for that story that is the lighthouse that was saved and i think also the the gothenburg post the the newspaper it, uh, it's they started to have like on next to the logo on the top they are presenting a new lighthouse every week you know and, and it it mm-hmm. kind of raised the awareness of the whole lighthouse thing and and um, we're really yeah. happy for that and uh, you and I were chatting a little bit before we started the interview here about how attractive the lighthouse is. You know, we have some similar skeletal type lighthouses here in this country, but yours is earlier than ours. Ours usually mostly came later in the 1800s. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I really think it's a handsome tower of that type, Paternoster, and uh, the red paint, I think, also makes it striking as opposed to ours that are either white or in some cases brown, which is kind of mm. drab, but uh, Paternoster is uh, really attractive. It is, uh, and it's designed by Carl Gustav Heidenstam, uh, a Swedish engineer that was, so he yeah. was like their chief engineer and, and uh, architect. And the, the reason why they built it, uh, and th- there there are used to be 11 similar lighthouses made by the same technique, but every lighthouse before the Paternoster one, before uh, it was built in uh, or raised in 1868. But before that, the one, everyone else was made by stone and uh, preferably quarried on the actual island, you know, to, but but that took about two years to build a lighthouse of stone. But this was was assembled in the, in, a, in a week because it was like a kit coming from the shop in the, uh, in the city uh, made by cast iron and um, and they kind of screwed it together and um, it's amazing details on it uh, i noticed the other day that uh, there there are um, eight points from the ceiling of the of the lantern that are leading the water you know uh, to the right place and you can hardly see them but if you but they are it's lion heads that are spitting out the water so it's oh and I have and also seen, spouts, yeah. yeah, exactly. I've seen the drawings. The drawings are really beautiful. It was, I think, one of the most, probably the most prestigious job you could have as an architect or as an engineer in in the country because it it was considered, you know, the, the lighthouses were very very important. And um, lighthouse master was uh, higher than a captain on a big ship, you know. So those uh, uh, lion drain spouts you just described. Uh, we have a, a lighthouse in Maine called West Quaddy Head. Mm-hmm. That has gargoyle drain spouts. Ah, I guess you could, you know, design it in a simpler way and make it much less costier. But uh, it's also the Paternoster among lighthouse uh, enthusiasts in Sweden. They call it the king of lighthouses. It's considered it also because of the location. It's kind of spectacular. It's very appreciated, I think. And um, when, especially also when you walk up on the inside, you have ornaments, cast ornaments in the staircases. You know the Apparently for no other reason than making it beautiful. 
How many stairs do you know? 139. 139. That's a good number of stairs. I'll give you some exercise. It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We yeah. are. Uh, I've been up there many times. We've been serving champagne and stuff for our guests. And then, mm. wow. <laughs> but, and we, we also maybe. do, uh, yeah. since, uh, yeah, exactly. And, and we do yoga there. We do um, also some dinner for, uh, because there is a lamp in there, but the lamp is electrical and it's very small. So it's kind of a big room. Yeah. You know, the lantern today. So, and with the 360 view, of course. So sunsets are, you know, we, in the summer, we, we um, abrupt the, the, um, the dinners and we tell them we have to go up to watch the sunset now. Everybody runs up and then they come down and continue with the dessert. Yeah. You're making me want to go there so much. I would love to go. So let's talk about the Now, uh, should I refer to it as the Paternoster Lighthouse Hotel or how should I refer to it? Yeah, you can say that. The proper one would be uh, Paternoster Home on, on the Horizon. And the name of the island is um, uh, Hamnesher. Right. So, so Paternoster is actually the archipelago, right? Exactly. And apparently there are, uh, I know there are in South Africa, another kind of chain of reefs called Paternoster and a couple of other places in the world. So this is a, also, a, I guess it comes from the Ice Age, you know, it's, it's a line of reefs coming out, almost like the the Catholic, uh, the pearl chain that the, the Catholic priests are using, or which is also called the, the Paternoster, which is Latin for my, our father. It's also the, the the start of the famous prayer in in Latin. So, so there are two theories of why they were given the names. One is that the, the reefs were so dangerous, so you needed to pray father's prayers when you were mm-hmm. approaching. And the other one is that uh, because it's actually I, I've found the name Paternoster reefs uh, on uh, maps dated back to the 1400s. The other, you know, reason for the name it could be the, the the string of pearls in a way that it has been um, a monastery on the larger island further back. Oh. Could be because of that. Sure. I think the common uh, the common Swede would would refer it to the, you know, you have to do your prayers before you at, approach the reefs because of the dangers. Yeah, and and there story. is actually historically the last thousand years is more than seven hundred shipwrecks around that went down around there. Around the the last one was 1969, a Spanish freight vessel. Interesting. Wow. So, how did the idea for the hotel uh, on the island come about? We are um, six people in the operation company, and uh, they were putting out the the lease on the market. You know, the owners, the government. It's the same branch that take care of the royal castles and uh, the historical buildings, basically. And it was a lot of people that applied. It was me and my wife that has a history of, of designing hotels, marketing hotels. And um, and then we had a young couple that runs a rib boat freight company. So they bring you know, tourists back and forth and stuff like that. And we had uh, people with the restaurant backgrounds that had um, their background in sommelier and wines and things like that. And Ulle, the main owner, who's a, like a businessman in, in town that, that are kind of very well connected and also a very keen sailor. So he's been behind the sailing competitions on Marstrand, which is the nearby island, you know. So I guess they thought we, we had the best chance to make it successful. We won the lease and started just in the beginning of last summer. And everybody's in it for a passion, as I said before. I'm my best time is when I can take my boat out there and do go fishing. So, and everybody else had like this passionate connection. I guess it's an island that's very easy to fall in love with. I think it's more 
passion than business <laughs> behind you know <laughs> that it have to be i mean a nine room hotel it's like it could never be of course a huge business i don't know anything else that's quite like it uh, anywhere there are plenty of lighthouse properties where you can stay overnight but they're usually on the mainland or larger islands they're usually not so remote there might be something that i'm not aware of that i can't think of right now but i i don't know of any any similar situation like this we knew from a business perspective that we need to charge uh, approximately five star prices to to mm -hmm. make a business because it's it's like a invisible tax on everything you know all the sheets we, we have a water maker on on the island so we don't have capacity to do the laundry for the sheets so they need to be brought back with boat and back and forth with sure. boat and all the bottles of wine everything you know back and forth yeah but uh, we also knew that uh, we could never do traditional luxury but I, we thought also that the, the closeness to nature and back to basics is that's part of the new luxury that people want to want to pay a premium for so makes sense to me i understand it just opened uh, not that long ago this past september we're talking uh, in mid march so around 6 months ago how have uh, things gone so far with that and uh, how has the pandemic affected the operation as you mentioned before, I've been working in hotel design for globally for uh, 30 years. Our company is actually in, um, in end of this month, it's turning 30. I have never seen anything like this, you know, PR-wise. Uh, I think we passed more than 4,000 articles globally, which is incredible. Uh, the, the contact person on the company that uh, provides the, the measurement software that we are uh, tracking articles she said that we were on par with the Volvo, you know, Volvo Cars, which is another proud <laughs> company in Gothenburg. But uh, and uh, obviously, it's that feels a little strange when we when we get this tremendous amount of press. It's, it is the same year that nobody is allowed to travel. This image of this small island in the large in the large ocean with a little tiny lighthouse on it's, it's somehow emotionally the, a solution to the to the virus somehow. You know, this is okay. At least we could go there somehow. We had a fairly strong uh, summer. The virus went down a little bit, and also a lot of Swedes weren't—they obviously weren't able to travel abroad. So the domestic market was fairly good in the summer, and the autumn was—we uh, had also some business, and then uh, the, the virus hit again here, and then it was like so. I had—we had some a lot of Christmas dinners that's very traditional here uh, with seafood that we did, but we had to cancel all of them because nobody dared to go there because of contamination of the whole thing. But but now the, we are getting bookings for the summer and uh, people seems more optimistic. Is it open all year? It is, but in the winter, if you if you like a couple that want to book one room, then we, then we will kind of guide you to the right weekend to do it because we need to... Uh, our uh, nine rooms we need to open like six or seven of them or rent out six or seven to to be able to make sense economically to open the island so it's not obviously not a drop-in location <laughs> anyway we were also the, we weren't 100 percent sure about the water system and the systems on on the island we get land as, as electric power from from land but uh, sometimes there were you know they they had to add some uh, heat heat elements on the on, on the water pipes and stuff like that because it was we had snow it's obviously close to the sea so the snow doesn't lay so for such a long time but we had like a two weeks period with sub-zero freezing degrees all the time so but we managed to to get through those and the the, the previous operation that were more like a youth hostel product 
they mm-hmm. they were never open in the winter so they ha- there was no like track record of, of ha- having the operation open in the winter but um we also noticed that a lot of people are very attracted to bad weather so you know storm watching and people that uh, if uh, they really want to go there when it's white and snowy and uh, you know if there's yeah. a big storm coming we have always a couple of people that want can i can i go there and you know during the storm yeah so that's our our goal at least to have open all year round but uh, you know on basis of bookings of course mm-hmm. have you been out there in any storms or anything like that yeah uh, not uh, maybe storm but but very heavy wind and um yeah we have a little little harbor there, sheltered harbor. You can see it on the and uh, in some wind direction, it's really bad. So we really we, we are investigating to put a crane so we can lift our boats uh, up because it's almost like putting the boat in a boiling kettle when the when the wind mm. direction is bad. And yeah. and uh, we notice on all old photos, everything always before in the good old days, they were always lifting the boats up. How do people get there? How do the guests get there? You drive from Gothenburg uh, to the island of Marstrand and where you can park your car. And uh, then we normally pick them up with a, like a rib boat or they uh, they would arrange it themselves and call, you know, in the summer, people come with their own boat. And then we take people, guests with helicopters, then you can go from Gothenburg or you could actually come from the, from, from the airport and fly mm-hmm. directly out to us. So, which make it, uh, you know, two and a half hours from London. And you, then we will be on the island. But mm-hmm. I think if you fill the helicopter and if you fill the rib boat, the, the cost per person would be the double with the helicopter. Yeah. But they can actually get out uh, in, in harder wind than the boats. Wow. It gets scary. It's not dangerous, but it's if you're not used to it, it gets scary because it's bumpy. But um, Sure. But, um, yeah. We had yeah. a lot of, uh, not a lot, but a few guests coming with helicopter and... Um, it's also a beautiful ride. It's, it's a beautiful archipelago around there. So, mm-hmm. there's not exactly a helipad on the island, right? Uh, how does is oh. it hard to land there? Now they, um, everybody, all the helicopter pilots are picking the same spot. So, <laughs> so it's uh, they, they they go down and they kind of cruise around the island and they see that this is the it's a natural spot uh, just inside of the long pier that we have. I know the uh, guest rooms are in the. Uh, Keepers, what used to be the keepers or, or masters house. Yeah. Are there other buildings there that are incorporated into the hotel in some way? Yes, all of the buildings actually. Somehow we have the the gunpowder house. <laughs> it's a little bit far far away from the other buildings because that's uh, before they had the horn, the blowhorn to to uh, the foghorn. Fog I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Before that, they used to shoot with cannons, loose shots with cannons to warn about the fog. Mm-hmm. So they had to store the gunpowder powder somewhere. So that's called the gunpowder building. Uh, and then we had the foghorn building, which uh, a beautiful with a little tower with the old foghorn still there. And that's like a conference room now. With, uh, so we can have um, or, or a separate dinner. Uh, even in the summer, we use it for, for the staff in the cafe, our cafe to sleep. And then we have the... Um, we call it the boathouse, but it's uh, the, the second largest building on the island and it's very close to the main building. So it's um, uh, where we do big dinners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have uh, the old food uh, storage with, with thick walls, you know, before they had freezers and uh, coolers and stuff. And there, that's where we have our wine cellars because it's, it's a good stable temperature, even if it's hot in the summer or cold in the winter. 
And then we have uh, an additional building that uh, used to be the ca- kerosene uh, building to where they kept the kerosene next to the uh, yeah the fuel for the light. There we're going to do build our sauna. It's not done yet, but we're going to do it. So, uh, so and there you can we're going to make a little pathway down to the ocean so we can jump in the ocean and go back into the sauna so we could kind of expand the swimming season a little bit. Yeah. Can you describe the the accommodations a little bit? Yes, I think uh, I have to begin with the design then, because um, as I said, we we wanted to create a feeling that we're opening up the home or the lighthouse uh, staff uh, or the lighthouse families. What we did uh, is to a good portion, I think 60% of the furniture is actually antique sourced in the vicinity, in the municipality and different shops. And then we also... um, you know, mix that up with modern. We wanted it. We don't wanted it to be a museum. We wanted it to be like uh, as as you live there today. So then we had modern sofas and nicer uh, things, and uh, we even um, custom made a wallpaper in the living room, which is uh, based on the drawings of the, of the lighthouse. So you can see the cast iron um, details there, plus the seaweed that grows around the island. And then the the rooms are there. It is the former living quarters, so they are. Everybody, of course, have beautiful views, um, and we did a, co- a collaboration with uh, Dux Beds, which is uh, a very high-end brand of, of beds. And they uh, so they provided us with their best quality beds. Then um, we, we are actually re- renovating. We're putting new wallpapers and painting and adding some more. So in mid-April, we will like open fully for the season with with. Uh, all the rooms renovated. We have done a couple of them now, and uh, it's like an ongoing process. But we want—we don't want to, as I said before, we don't want to do traditional luxury. We want to do like a very homey feeling, and uh, a lot of old um, sailing charts or uh, marine charts, and mixed with modern art. We had a beautifully bought an expensive piece of art from a very a great American artist, Christy Lee Rogers. She's a photographer, and she's taking pictures of people underwater. She's dressing them up. It almost looks like a Renaissance painting. She's dressing them up with old, nice, uh, uh, nice uh, clothes, like dresses with uh, with special fabrics that she had made that should float beautifully in water. Huh. And she, then she directs them, and they hops in. and And this piece we have in the in the dining hall, and this is all you know, a little bit our respectful homage to all the people that passed away, drowned during those the thousand last years you know but it's a beautiful piece and it's 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 really nice to mix modern art with these old black and white photos from from the childhood of the people that actually lived there for real so it's a very cozy atmosphere lots of books and lots of you know the history mixed with things that proves that it's it's alive now you know uh pictures i've seen look look really beautiful can you describe the food a little bit what kind of food do people get there yes definitely we Really try to, as I said before, the best our best moments are when we go fishing or go pulling up the lobster pots with our guests. It's great fishing out there. So we have from our pier uh, a few crab pots in always, and they will give you like 25 crabs each, big crabs every day. And that's uh, really joy for the guests to, you know, go there uh, before dinner and pull them up and uh, the kids love it. And then we boil them outside, you know, and uh, we make special sauces. And um, and then we do a lot of fishing with our guests. We get a lot of mackerel, codfish. And since it's so fresh, we, we usually do sashimi on them and um, things like that. Then it's like 
seafood. It's we have a great we have a kitchen there, but um, pre-boiled seafood from the local fishermen. People love it, and it's like makes sense to eat it out there, and uh, we we can really get hold of it really fresh. So, so mm-hmm. that we eat a lot. Then we have collaboration with different chefs that we know from the area. You know, depending on the guests coming. But it's we, we really and and then we work a lot with seaweed. Work with a couple of uh, a, a, a young couple that's that are marine biologists, and he's also a chef. And they collect collect a lot of seafood, and they taught us, you know, the edible ones and how we should prepare it. And and they say when they are snorkeling around our island, island that it's really fresh out there. If you collect them further inland, you, you need to select the good ones. But here, everybody, every all of them are good. So so we really try to, you know. Eat, Evoke the feeling that I talked about before the, the the this this lighthouse masters that against all odds made a good living out there. You're making me really hungry. I love seafood, and it's uh, it's just about mm. lunchtime here where I yeah. am. So really, <laughs> I'm, really I'm past lunch here on my side of the Atlantic Ocean, so yeah. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you mentioned you know people get to climb the lighthouse, obviously they get to fish, obviously they get to swim if they want to. Uh, any other activities people can partake in when they're there? Yeah, we, we wouldn't want to call it a spa, but we have these two um, big bathtubs that we pump salt water from the ocean up in and we heat it. I guess it's maybe like that in the northern part of the US also, the coastal communities that in the, during the winter, there are nine months that you kind of long to the summer where you can swim in the sea and, and the, the, those, the rest of the, those nine months you just freeze. So it's a fantastic thing to, to jump in a, in a heated salt water tub when you are just next to the uh, water. So that's really popular. And we had a gunpowder building there where we serve snacks and beers and they, they, they swim there. And that's the co- courageous one. They jump in the sea also when it's winter. And then we have our masseuse and our seaweed collectors. They also create some fantastic creams and massage oils from the seaweed that, that, that has fantastic mm. properties. So also that's local. But um, so that's, that's something that almost all the guests are doing, you know, this little swimming routine and then we have like a morning dip in the morning you know that we down in the harbor and depends a little bit on the weather conditions as as you know it can be really windy and then it's then you have to pick the right side of the island and it's it's actually uh, the the tides are filling up the baltic sea and emptying the baltic sea you know so the that current is just so the current can be like three knots i have been there when it's um uh, no wind at all. The wind uh, measure device is just standing still. But then it feels like you're next to a river because the you hear the water. If I was there, I think I'd either be at the top of the lighthouse or I'd be eating seafood. <laughs> Those would yeah. be my two, two big activities. <laughs> what do you think are some of the reasons people go to stay there? I think the main emotional reason is it's a way, somehow it represents away from it all. It's really beautiful. One thing that I learned from designing hotels that you really need is really beneficial to have one picture, one image that is kind of capturing the whole bigger idea. And in this case, it's really strong. You have it. You have a there. There is a few images taken from a helicopter during a storm, and uh, there are other images that I've taken with my drone. You know, and where you see this tiny isle, speckle island in the big ocean, and you only see the horizon. And that's really appealing. It's it's wanted almost jump into the image. So there is a there is a drama, you know, to if you arrive in the, at the airport and you take a taxi or a, be picked up by a car and you drive through Gothenburg and then up north and then towards the coast and then you pass one bridge, another bridge, and the islands become smaller and smaller. And then at the end, you 
you arrive to Marstrom, which is a really beautiful historical with, with white uh, wooden buildings and uh, with small restaurants. And then you jump into the boat and then you exit their harbor. And when you get around the corner there, you, you, you see this tiny little lighthouse sticking up and then it becomes larger and larger. And you also passed very often rough water. So it's bumpy and you're happy that you have your your uh, survival suit on. So it's like, a, and, and then you arrive to this this safe little place and uh, it, I feel that it's like an amplifier of your senses. So we are also experimenting with a lot of culture. We, I thought from the beginning, if you have an art exhibition there, it will be perceived as something different than doing the same exhibition in a gallery downtown. And that's something you realize when you put your foot on it for the first time. I think that's the reason. It's like traveling a very long way, but it's actually, it's it's not so far for, for the Swedes, of course, but but mentally you're really ex- entering a different world. If uh, if someone isn't staying at the uh, the hotel on the island, is there is it possible for them to arrange a tour of the lighthouse and other buildings? We have day trips. We have even during the summer, we, we have a summer cafe. So we have are open for lunch. And a lot of, a lot of people come with their own boat, but you could... You can arrange a boat a trip out uh, for people to have lunch, have a beer maybe, and uh, go up in the lighthouse and see, get a tour of the whole thing. And then they go back after lunch. We have a lot of that. And uh, when it's nice weather, we have always, uh, you know, uh, a musician playing accordion or, you know, some entertainment out there. And and also if there are enthusiasts, you know, enthusiasts of lighthouses, we, we had a few cases of that. There was some, somebody from Great Britain that wanted to come. They haven't managed yet because of the due to the virus. But the, when they can travel, they will come, and then we arrange a special arrangement for them. You know, to to maybe focus more on the history of the lighthouse and see all the details. And definitely, yeah. As I told you, this uh, podcast is for the U.S. Lighthouse Society, and the society does tours all over the world. And wow. uh, I hope maybe a tour can uh, visit you sometime. I don't we know. We'd love to have you. You're all welcome. We would we'll, love to, to to show it to you. And uh, great. I I I be, be, became because of this project a big lighthouse fan. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm watching other lighthouses in a in totally different eyes now after <laughs> we joined into this project. So I so I feel that all the lighthouse enthusiasts around the world are my our our countrymen somehow. Our kind. I feel folks. the same way. Yeah. So if you ever come to New England, let me know and I'll help you get to some lighthouses here. Yeah, that would be lovely. Love to do that. So how did your partnership with the film festival come about? I think it's born. Uh, for once, I, I used to be a board member of the Gothenburg Film Festival some years ago. So I know them very well. And I like I like films and I like that organization a lot. Then we noticed from the beginning in this project, as I said previously, that this island feels like an amplifier of your senses. So it's really interesting to kind of connect it to culture. So when they asked us if the idea, I think from their whole their part came that came from that they had to do do digital a digital uh, festival. They tried for a long time to to make it a real festival, but then they realized that it was impossible. But then they asked us if we were interesting to make a film festival for one and and having one ticket, real ticket for a real person to spend seven days on our island alone without um, computer and without Wi-Fi and without telephone, only watching all the films in the in the film festival. 
uh, we thought it was a fantastic idea, and uh, it, it kind of corresponds with our idea of uh, using this island as an amplifier of culture. And we also saw the potential that it will it will point people's eyes towards this yeah this beautiful it's island. My eyes there. Yeah. yeah, that's the reason why we're here talking. I think exactly. Yeah, that's what I saw first, and then I I found you know I found I saw articles about the uh, the connection to the film festival. But then I found mm-hmm. many other articles about the. Yeah, there are a lot of other articles was that was written before, but that was insane actually when <laughs> when Lisa was uh, chosen. It was mm-hmm. twelve thousand uh, applicants yeah. from forty five or more countries. She was a COVID nurse from uh, a small town in uh, in uh, Sweden, and her letter she started with, uh, "I'm really tired because I've been comforting dying people for uh, half a year." She said, "You know, and my only way to kind of." forget everything is to jump into a movie and watch a movie in my couch at home so yeah i think she was the right pick she needed to be able to do a willing to do a blog vlog vlog video diary um from the island every day in english because it's a it's a you know it's an international film film festival but she was perfect in that so in that sense and i was uh, helping out when she was when we took her to the island together with a the world press <laughs> and it was really the world press all the cnn and bbc and uh, new york times and uh, you know the big ones yeah. were there and uh, interviewing her and uh, following us out to the island and le- even leaving her there you know she wasn't actually um, totally alone she was there with because we didn't dare to do it because uh, of safety so we said our our managing director media she have to be there together because she knows all the systems in case something happens. But apparently they didn't talk for seven days. They they wrote some post-it notes on on the coffee grinder to tell yeah. if it, if it's fresh or not. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it went fantastic. It's um, yeah. And we have a lot of requests now for people that wanted to kind of buy a product like that, going there to watch movies, and uh, we have uh, we have. Uh, continuous collaboration with uh, the Gothenburg Film Festival and we now we will have there's a famous uh, director Ruben Östlund and um, he has been nominated for Oscar sometimes and his new film is coming now and he will have a preview on on the island and then have dinner with all the guests which I think mm-hmm. can be fantastic my other big interest besides lighthouses is movies. So if there's another yeah. contest like that, I'm entering for sure. So, so you saw the you saw the lighthouse then? The, that's the black and white movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did a podcast episode all about it. As a matter of fact, okay, fantastic. Yeah, I went to see it with my two co-hosts, uh, Cindy and Michelle. And uh, excellent. Sometime maybe we can talk about that. I don't want to get into it now, but there's <laughs> a lot of opinions about that movie. I have one final question for you for bonus points. Okay. Okay. Okay, so get ready. Uh, what is what has been your favorite thing about your involvement with uh, Paternoster, the, the lighthouse, the hotel, and all that? That's easy. It's uh, spending more time on the sea and spending more time on the island. And uh, even my my wife and I, we have uh, three daughters, and I have a son from a previous marriage. He lives in the United States, by the way. All our daughters were working there last summer. It was much more to do than we thought. And they, they liked it so much that they applied for a job this summer too. So they will be there. So it's almost like a family affair. <laughs> yeah. Which also made it because they are, the twins are 17 and then uh, their big sister is 21. 
maybe in that age they they normally flee so you you don't see them but on the island you, you, i'm forced to, to you know spend time with them which is really nice yeah <laughs> and there is a lot of nice guests coming there also so we had great conversations in the evening and uh, a very odd mix of people you know sitting there having dinner together and eating mm -hmm. the catch of the day that you yeah. caught yourself and you know you know the feeling yeah, I do. I do. And I, I just love all this so much. And like I say, I think it just moved to the top on my bucket list. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. We, we should do a podcast from the top of the lighthouse. Yes, I like that idea a lot. Let's uh, let's do that sometime. It's, it's a deal. We also want, you know, there is certain different competitions of design and uh, hotel design. And there's one of the oldest and the most prestigious one in the in the U.S. It's called the Gold Key Awards. And you won We've that. Been, yeah, we tried for many years with fantastic big hotels that we've done in our around the world, but we never won it. But now they <laughs> they said that this is this project is so special, so we have to. They even invented a category to to fit it in. You know, well, it is it is special. It's it's just uh, phenomenal what you've uh, accomplished there, and I I congratulate you on that, and uh, I look forward to Thank your you. book. I yeah. dream of of getting there, like I said. Uh, but uh, Eric uh, Neeson Johansson, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me today. It's, uh, thank you. it's everything about it is is so interesting. So again, uh, thank you so much, Eric. Let's do a follow up when you come to the island and on on the podcast. Absolutely, sounds good. Thank We'd you. We love to have some American uh, lighthouse enthusiasts as our guests. So you're almost always welcome. The website for the Potter Noster Lighthouse Hotel, also known as Potter Noster, a home on the horizon, is potternoster.se. If you want to go straight to the English language version, it's potternoster.se slash en. That's p-a-t-e-r-n-o-s-t-e-r dot s-e slash en. And we just found out about another interesting story related to Potter Noster. The 2021 Oscars are being handed out on April 25th. All 24 of the Oscar nominees in the directing and acting categories receive a gift bag, and this year's include a stay at the Potter Noster Lighthouse Hotel. Cool. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see if uh, Glenn Close, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Viola Davis, Gary Oldman, or any of the other uh, nominees are brave enough to book a, a stay at yes, that re to take advantage island. of that gift. It is beautiful, but it is also remote, which is part of why it's beautiful, I think. Right. Thanks, as always, to everyone connected to the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Visit uslhs.org to learn more about all the things the Society has to offer. And remember that all donations support this podcast and all the education and preservation activities of the Society. Part two of our two-part look at Paternoster Lighthouse in Sweden will be posted this Wednesday, April 28th. For now, as always, thanks for listening, and to all our Swedish friends, Hallet bra youth. That's keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine everywhere I go. I'm gonna let it shine everywhere I go. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.